Good morning, church family. And my heart is so stirred by the truth. I'm so thankful for worship and our team that leads us every week just to lift up Jesus. Aren't you thankful for them, church? Aren't you? Yeah, amen. Me too. Me too. So, so thankful. Well, grab your Bibles, if you will, uh, as these guys are passing the baskets. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Find your place in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, I love this little intro video. It says the Bible is not just a collection of unrelated stories. It's not a it's not a collection of stories about heroes and villains or right and wrong or good versus evil. The Bible is ultimately telling us who God is and how he saves. And uh, we've been walking through the scriptures together on a journey to see the Bible in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to read the scriptures. I told you um, months ago when we started this journey, we wanted to kind of go on an Emmaus Road journey of our own where uh, Jesus met those two disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. He just sort of shows up with them and talks with them. And the Bible says that he revealed all things concerning himself from the scriptures. And what we take that to mean is that all the Bible, all the Bible is really pointing us to Christ. It's all pointing us to our Redeemer and our Savior. And last time we saw that God's people wanted a king, Um, uh, which in itself isn't a bad thing. What was the bad thing is they didn't realize they already had a good king in God. They wanted an earthly king, a man like themselves that they could see, one that would lead their physical armies uh, and not just deliver them in the ways that God had delivered them. Think about the good king they had in God, right? They, uh, God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand. He had parted the waters of the Red Sea, parted the Jordan River, knocked down the walls of Jericho. I mean, on and on and on. This great king has led his people in a great way. And yet they wanted another king. So they chose a big, strong leader named King Saul. He was head and shoulders above every other man. And God blessed him for a while until Saul decided he didn't need God to be victorious. He could do this thing on his own. And it was in that moment that God stripped him of his throne. Well, then God led Samuel to appoint a new and better king and they anointed a shepherd boy. They almost made the same mistake of choosing a man, Saul, like Saul, who was big and strong. They they looked at all the sons of Jesse, almost made the same mistake again, but Ultimately, they chose David, the youngest, smallest, most insignificant son, not even a teenager yet, and anointed him to be king. In that moment, God's spirit rushed on David, and at the same time, the spirit of the Lord left Saul. So the anointed king, David, is yet to take over. Um, And this is where we pick up our, our story in 1 Samuel 17. So the Philistines were the enemies of the day. Uh, The army of the Philistines had had already been uh, in battle with Israel. But these Philistines are now encroaching and beginning to invade Israel. We see that at the beginning of this chapter. These two armies line up for battle. One's on one hillside and one on the other. There's a valley, the Valley of Elah in between them. Then the Philistines' greatest warrior... Is the greatest warrior probably the world has ever seen marches out from the army, comes out into the valley before the people of Israel and begins to shout at them, issuing a challenge. 
We're talking about a man who's nine feet tall, most believe. He's a man of war. His, his coat, his uh, chainmail armor weighed 125 pounds. His helmet's huge. His spear has a 15-pound head on the end of it. This is a man of war. And he comes out, makes threats, he mocks, he insults, and he defies the living God. Well, this is an epic moment in history. We're going to see a battle between this giant. What's his name? Goliath. So you know the story, right? Versus who does Goliath fight? Hmm. Seems like it's going to be a blowout, doesn't it? Let's stand to our feet and read the text together. We want to stand in honor of God's word. We're just going to read a portion. This story takes all 50 something verses of chapter 17. So I just want us to read, picking it up in verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the one who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see this battle. David said, what have I done now? It was a brotherly, brotherly spat, right? Uh, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? He turns away from him toward another. And he spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. And he went for, he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth and he's been a man of war from his youth. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I'm not sure that was a convincing argument (laughs) just yet. Um, So, so David goes on, he says, and when there came a lion or a bear And it took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if it rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. 
Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped the sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I've not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it. He struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his own sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. Let's pray. Father, you are a great warrior on our behalf. We are reminded through your word that the battle belongs to the Lord. There is no giant too great for you. Lord, may you stir our hearts today. We need to be encouraged, not that we are able, but that Christ is able. Open our eyes now to see the glory of the gospel of Jesus in these pages. We praise you, Lord, for sending your son to fight for us. For the glory of his victorious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So David and Goliath, possibly the most widely known Bible story of all time, right? Probably, listen, the most wrongly understood. 
In this series of sermons, one of our hopes is to give you gospel glasses. So that every time you pick up your Bible, you put on these gospel glasses and you go looking for a God who saves. Anytime you read scripture, you should be reading through the lenses of the gospel. Who is Jesus? What has he come to do? How is my God seeking to rescue a people for his own glory? So we're looking to discover more about God and the Savior he has sent even in the story of David and Goliath. In fact, especially in the story of David and Goliath. The battle between this shepherd boy and this giant ogre of a man happened about a thousand years before Jesus. And yet, it's still pointing us to Christ. I want us to just make some quick observations, just looking at what's happening here, what's happening in the text. And then we're going to take a step back and see how does this passage point us to Christ? So first, let's look at David and all the situations going on. David saw the enemy from God's viewpoint. David saw the enemy from God's viewpoint. If you'll remember, we we just learned in the previous chapter in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, that God doesn't see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? Heart. Right. So even in David's in the choosing of David to be the anointed future king, God didn't choose him because of his strength or stature or size. God chose him because of his heart. And so David now, even looking at this enemy, is seeing and viewing the enemy not in the way that man sees. He's not sizing him up and thinking, I think I can take him. He's looking deeper. In chapter 17, verse 26, David essentially says, who does this guy think he is? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's an interesting expression. And it's not simply an an outer mark. It's not simply a skin issue, circumcision. It's an issue of covenant, of relationship. When David looks at the Philistine, at this giant, he sees a huge man who is not in covenant with God. He's assessing his enemy from the inside out, not from the outside in. David's saying he may be big, he may be a good fighter, but he is against God Almighty. This joker doesn't stand a chance. Every other man on the battlefield lacked courage, but not just because Goliath was bigger than them. Listen to me. They lacked courage because they lacked faith. It's not that Goliath was bigger than them. It's somehow that Goliath was bigger than their God. But David is able to see things from God's perspective, his point of view. And he sees this giant and he says he's an enemy of God. And he will fall. David also saw himself through his own identity. In God. Through his own identity in God. 
This is huge, you guys. David is confident, right? He's bold. He's confident. His brothers even, you know, think he's prideful or arrogant or whatever it may be. Most likely because they're jealous. Remember, they were there when they were passed over and David was anointed the future king. Much like Joseph's brothers were jealous and threw him in the pit for slavery. David's brothers also are jealous. You can feel it. You can hear it in Eliab's word. Why would you come here? What what are you doing here? Don't you have some few sheep to be looking after? Not just sheep, but few sheep, right? (laughs) Who you got keeping those three or four sheep you're supposed to be watching, David? You can hear it. It's embedded, right? They, They resent him. But David tells Saul something Peculiar, He says, don't let any man's heart sink because of this guy. Let their spirits be lifted. Let me tell you what's about to happen. <clears throat> David is self, or he's confident, but listen, he is not self-confident. This is a massive distinction, and it will matter as we look ahead. David is not self-confident. He is God confident. When David explains to Saul, listen, I've been keeping my dad's sheep for a long time. And Saul's like, go on. (laughs) David says, well, there was a lion that came. And I got a hold of that thing by its beard. God delivered that lion into my hands. There was also a bear who came, had a sheep in its mouth. I was able to pull the sheep loose and I killed that thing. God delivered the bear. Into my hands. And God will do the same with this giant. God's con- uh, David's confidence is not in himself. He's not looking around going, look at me and look at him. I can take this joker. His confidence is in a God who has proven himself time and time again. His confidence is in a God who said, I'm anointing you to be the future king. You are going to be my king who delivers my people. So David knows the promises of God. He looks back to the provisions of God and he says, I've got nothing to fear. Saul, let me go at him. Unlike Goliath, David's boldness didn't come from himself. It came from being right with God. There's a proverb. Chapter 28, verse one, it says the wicked flees. When no one pursues. Do you know that? The wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. David is bold. Because he's right with God. He's in covenant with God. He saw himself through his identity with God. David saw the battle clearly. David saw the battle clearly. In verses 41 through 47, we we see this sort of back and forth, this sort of talking smack, you know. Uh, Goliath starts talking smack, shouting, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? David says, You've come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. So David understood something about the battle. He knew this is not a me versus him fight. 
This is a God versus evil fight. And David proclaims with great confidence, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. David saw the battle clearly. And then David saw the victory of the Lord, didn't he? Like he knew God gives victory and he was determined that God would get the glory. Did you catch those, those words the, the, in verses 46 and 47? David says, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with spear and sword, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. David saw the victory of the Lord. Now, this is essentially what happened in the story. And we're just sort of analyzing the character of David as he comes into battle. And it's helpful. But now we hit the biggest and hardest question. And this is where most of us, especially if we're honest, and most preachers even, many, many sermons have been given. I've probably taught this incorrectly in years past. How do we apply these truths? How do we apply these principles? How should we make application from this text to our lives? Are we intended to look for all the ways that we can be more like David? I mean, after all, he's the hero of this story and we certainly should want to be like him, right? Teaching this way usually goes something like this. Guys, we all have giants in our lives. You just need to be courageous like David. Get out there and face down your giants. You can do this. Let me tell you, that is the spirit of Goliath. You are not David. We are not the hero of the story of Scripture. We have a hero. And he has come and fought and won our victory decisively. And our lives here on this earth are to be lived in the shadow of the great victory of our Savior King. It is really bad practice. To plant yourself in the storyline of Scripture as the hero. You're not the hero. You're the one needing to be rescued. You are the damsel in distress. And Jesus has come to save you. If you must implant yourself into the story, you are the fear paralyzed soldier seven rows back who almost didn't show up for battle this day. That's who you are. We are the fear-struck people of Israel, unwilling to face and fight our enemies. Unable, unable to defeat this enemy. The story of David and Goliath is the unfolding history of the people of Israel. We must read it with layers, right? So this is history. These things really happen. These characters are real. There's a tidbit in the story, by the way, that 
that is for historical evidence. I don't know if we even read it, but you know, David took Goliath's head to Jerusalem. Did you see that? I don't think we read that in the text. But did you see what he did with Goliath's armor? He put it in his tent. Mm. People of Israel kept that for a long time as a marker of the victory of their savior king. These things really happened. This stuff is history. It's the unfolding story of God's miraculous protection and provision for his people. But that's one layer. The deeper layer is this. This is the unfolding story of redemptive history. It's the story of God saving not just Israel, but the greater Israel, all of his people. And he's showing us how he will do it. So this story is not just about David. It's certainly not a story that presents an unlikely but courageous hero that we are to imitate so that we can conquer the giants in our own lives. That's not this story. Rather, it is that in Jesus, the true and better David, we have a savior king who has won for us the greatest victory of all time. He fought evil itself, sin, Satan, even death. And Jesus won. So this story is a setup for the greatest story ever told. So now let me tell you who Jesus is in the story. Jesus is the true champion. He's the true champion. I choose that word champion on purpose. There is the word champion used in the text. Would you look at it with me in verse four? We're introduced to this word and it surfaces again in verse 23. But look at verse four, if you will. Chapter 17, verse four. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. A champion. Now the word champion in Hebrew is a really unique word. It's actually only used this one time in the Bible. In this one chapter, this is the only time it's used. It's a really unique word, but I've come to love it this week. Here's what it means. Literally, it means the man in between. The man in between. Goliath comes out thinking he's the champion and he actually proposes a battle plan for the people of Israel and the people of the Philistines. His battle plan is this. Hey, send out your best soldier, the best warrior you've got. And here I am on behalf of my people. And he's the champion, the man in between. He's the one who comes out and says, I will represent all of them. If I win, they win. If I lose, they lose. Oh, but if your warrior is able to beat me and kill me, well, then your people win. All of you win. Oh, but if your warrior loses, all of you belong to us. Goliath actually presents this plan, and it scares Israel to death. Even King Saul, the the one head and shoulders above every man. The, literally, the giant among Israel is afraid. He's cowering in his tent. The one who should have gone to fight. The king fighting for his people. It's the reason he was chosen, right? He was chosen to be a king who leads the people to battle. But even Saul knows he's not able. 
Now listen, Jesus is the true champion. Here's what I mean. In the same way that one man represents all of this army and one man represents all of this army and victory or defeat for all the people is wrapped up in the victory or defeat of this one soldier, one fighter in the same way, in the same way. Jesus is the champion that if you are in Christ, the victory that he won is yours. He's the true champion. We have a vicarious victory through a great savior king named Jesus. You couldn't fight the battle, but he fought it for you. This idea, this concept of a man in between, a representative man, only happens three times in the Bible. And believe it or not, chronologically, this one is right in the middle. It's 3,000 years ago from now. 3,000 years ago, this one happened. But years before that, there was another representative man who faced a great enemy. A serpent slithering from a tree spoke deceptive words to Adam. And Adam, rather than silencing the enemy of God, was deceived. And he and his wife both ate from the tree that God warned and told them, do not do that, do not do that. But they went into battle one against one and Adam was defeated. And guess what happened as the representative man? Guess what happened for all of mankind? We are in Adam. We are sinners in Adam who have failed both vicariously through our representative man. By default, we're sinner and by decision. Right? Anybody amen on that one? Right? But in Adam, the Bible tells us in Adam, all men die. Do you know that? In Adam, we all get death because he's our representative man. Adam was our champion who failed miserably. And in this moment, David steps in as the champion. But he's not the ultimate champion, is he? Because David, we'll see next week, was also a failure in many regards. But in this story, he's pointing us to the ultimate champion, Jesus Christ. And this is the third portrait of the idea of champion. We have a representative man, a champion who stands before us, who fights our greatest enemies of sin, Satan himself, and ultimately death. Jesus fought all of those battles on your behalf. Every sin with, with which you've been tempted, he was tempted, except he overcame Satan himself came to tempt Jesus. Took him up on a high mountain and said, I'll give you everything if you'll bow the knee to me. And Jesus said, no. Satan got into Peter and said, uh, and Peter said, Lord, you'll never die on my watch. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Satan got into Judas and Judas sold him out for a bag of silver, right? Sent him to the cross, unbeknownst to Judas. That was his plan all along. To go to the cross. In Christ, all who believe are represented. All who believe are represented. And Jesus faced the enemy. 
that none of us could defeat. And where Adam failed, Jesus was victorious. And all who are his will receive his victory over sin and death and will live forever free and forgiven. This is what it means to have Jesus as your true champion, your representative man. Jesus defeated our greatest enemy. We've alluded to this, but I just got to dig into it. David comes to fight as a shepherd, right? (laughs) He tries to put on the, the, the king's armor, but it doesn't work for him. He comes to fight as a shepherd. He has the appearance of weakness. He walks out with a stick and a sling and some rocks and a pouch. He does not look like a warrior. Even Goliath is insulted by this enemy that comes to him. Goliath is like, what am I, a dog? You come at me with a stick? The point of that is David looked weak. Consider Jesus. Consider the meekness of the King of Kings on the cross. Naked, beaten to a pulp, stripped of his dignity. Everybody looks at him and says, he's weak. But it was actually through that weakness he won the war. Jesus fights Satan as the good shepherd, much like David. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life more and life more abundant. John 10, 11, it says that he gives life by laying down his own life. He lays down his life for his sheep. No man takes his life. He lays it down and he has the authority to take it up again. Our champion, our true champion, Jesus, laid down his life, but not in defeat. He took the enemy's worst blow. The worst blow the enemy had to give. Death. And he overcame. David saved God's people from an ogre of a man. A humongous human. And the people were lifted from their paralyzed fears. They ended up chasing the Philistines as far back as Gath. And then after they had chased them and defeated them miserably. On their way back to um, To their own place, they went into their camps and plundered their stuff. I love that part of the story. Because that's where me and you come in. Right? We, We are the people of God relishing in the victory of Christ. We are pushing back darkness and plundering the kingdom of the enemy. This is our role as victors. Not because we won, but because he won. David finished Goliath off with his own weapon. Do you notice that? David didn't have a sword of his own, but he goes to this defeated giant who's laying now face down on the ground. He takes his own weapon. The weapon that Goliath intended to kill David with is actually what defeated himself. Now, have you considered that? Because Jesus finished off the devil with the very weapon he aimed to defeat Christ with. Jesus' victory over death and the devil happened at the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. The very tool of torture 
meant to destroy Jesus ended up delivering the final blow to bring death itself to its knees. I want us to see this in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 2. Listen, church, this is good news for us. Colossians chapter 2. I believe it's verse 13, 14, 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. How? Nailing it to what? The cross. The very way Jesus won your freedom and forgiveness is the way the devil intended to destroy him. Through the cross, he defeated your enemy. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Jesus lifting up the head of the great giant we face. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. I love this text. Flip with me if you can. 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 20 and following, listen to these words regarding the resurrection of Christ. Paul has been saying, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching, our faith, everything we have is all in vain. If Christ didn't come back from the dead, he didn't beat our greatest enemy. But then he says this. But in fact, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. He's our champion, right? Our representative man. Just as death came through Adam, life comes through Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then as at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Praise God, right? So much we could say about death. For the believer, the New Testament returns it sleep. When you, Christian, die, you're just taking a good nap. Because our king has defeated death. And lastly, Jesus' victory is given to those who are his. His victory is given to those who are his. Jesus is the man in between you and your evil. Listen, this matters for you on Tuesday, not just in eternity. Jesus is the man in between you and your evil. Did you know the Goliath in your life is sometimes right here? We have evil that is outside of us, certainly. We have a a, a for sure enemy, the devil, 
roaring about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But there's another kind of evil that I think we're all too familiar with. It's inside of us. You know why you can't fight your own enemies, your own Goliath? Because it's in here. You need a redeemer to redeem you from you. And so do I. But here's the thing for your Tuesday battle, right? All the little things of life, the, 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 the stuff where you start messing in sin, the, the areas where things get on your nerves and up comes that anger or that whatever it may be, or you and the wife aren't, aren't getting on, it, it ain't working well, something's, something's not clicking and sin comes out of you, right? Comes out. It's because the enemy's not out there, he's in here. And here's what you need to know. Jesus, his victory is given to you. He's the champion you need to. The man in between you and your evil on Tuesday. The strongest thing you will do in battle is yield to King Jesus. Find your place on your knees. Declare His great victory over your brokenness. Ask for Him to be your strength. Pray like David talked about. Lord, the lions, the bears, the things in my life, will you please deliver them into my hand? And God, I know I'm weak, I'm broken, I could never beat them without you. But Lord, I know that your victory is my victory in Jesus, right? So a question for you. Is he your man in between? Is He your Savior? Are you looking to Him to save you or yourself? Do you think yourself strong? You're in for a wake-up call. I want to tell you, weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. Trust in the victory of Christ. Is He your man in between? Is He your Savior? Is He your King? Let's pray.